be seated. A sermon schedule through November has been provided for you on page five of your bulletin, and as you will see, as detailed on that schedule, that we'll be finishing up our series of Leviticus by Advent, that is Advent of this year. So after today's message on chapter eight, we'll have three more messages on Leviticus, looking at chapters 16, uh, 18, and 25, as we select three additional chapters that I believe speak to things that are uh, significant in our lives today. And so consider studying further in Leviticus, and if that is your desire, you'll find a few resources that I recommend to you. So for today, we want to focus on God providing a mediator that stands between himself and his people. So there's a famous uh, photograph that's dated March 26, 1979, and it features former President Jimmy Carter standing between the Egyptian President Anwar Sadat and the Israeli Prime Minister Menachem Begin. And they are shaking hands in a three-way handshake. This photograph was taken just after the Camp David Peace Accord was signed, which was a framework that peace might come between the nation of Egypt and the state of Israel. And I think it's a beautiful way to understand the role of a mediator. A mediator in the position that President Carter was between two parties that are at odds with one another, that are in need of reconciliation peace, the mediator stands there as a broker of peace, as a broker of reconciliation. And Leviticus chapter 8 is about God providing a broker of peace, a mediator between himself and his people. So we'll just look at two things today. We'll look first at the people's need of and assurance from this provision of a mediator. And then secondly, we will look at the one mediator, the one mediator that God has provided. And so as we've done in other messages in our series in Leviticus, we'll just read just a few verses from chapter 8, and I will leave it up to you to read the remainder of chapter 8. We'll read the first four verses. So if you would take your Bibles and turn to chapter 8 of Leviticus as we read verses 1 through 4. Now God's word for his people. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, take Aaron and his sons with him and the garments and the anointing oil and the bull of the sin offering and the two rams and the basket of unleavened bread And assemble all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. And the congregation was assembled at the entrance of the tent of meeting. The word of the Lord is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. It is perfect reviving the soul. And our heart's desire this morning is that God's word would revive our souls. Join me in prayer. God, our Father, as we come to this chapter in the book of Leviticus, 
I would pray, O oh God, that you would use it to show forth your provision of not a mediator that will live and die, but a mediator that is from everlasting uh, to everlasting, the one mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. Remind us today of the significance of Jesus as our mediator as we go about living our lives. And we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we'll look first at the people's need for and the assurance the people receive of God providing a mediator. In the book of Exodus, as we've been studying through Leviticus, we first began looking at the book of Exodus, reminds us that God established a covenant relationship with his people and his people turned right around and violated that covenant. They broke that covenant. They sinned against God. Then the book of Leviticus is God saying, you, my sinful people, I still want you in my presence, so I'm going to establish a way for you to be in my presence. In other words, I'm going to establish a way to deal with your sin. And so we've been studying through chapters 1 through 7 of this way that God has established for his people to be in his presence. And of course, chapters 1 through 7 point directly to Jesus, the provision, the sacrifice, and the true mediator through whom we're able to be in the presence of God. And so chapters 1 through 7 primarily deals with the people bringing their offering and the priest properly going through the rituals as God commanded. But now in chapter 8, God gives instructions to Moses about the ordination of the Aaronic priesthood, the ordination of Aaron as the high priest and his sons as a priest. And this ordination of the Aaronic priesthood really is picturing God providing a mediator between himself and his people. So if you look at chapter 8 and verse, one, and verse 4, I think verse 4 is the key verse in the entire chapter. And what verse 4 tells us is that, that God through Moses commanded the people to come to the entrance of the tent of meeting, that very place where the people would bring their sacrifices, the very place where the priests would actually offer those sacrifices to God. If the people were to assemble there, think of all the people that, are assemble, that assemble there before the tent of the meeting, and they were to witness this ordination ceremony of Aaron as the high priest and then his sons as the priest. And so what did the people see? I'm going to leave it to you to read the rest of chapter 8, but I simply want to summarize what the people saw. They saw ritual washing taking place where Aaron and his sons became ritually uh, pure. They saw special garments being bestowed upon Aaron as the high priest and anointing oil being sprinkled on the tabernacle, on the altar, and on Aaron himself. They also saw garments being placed upon Aaron's sons as priests. 
A bull was sacrificed as a sin offering for Aaron and his sons. A ram was sacrificed as a burnt offering for Aaron and his sons. Another ram was sacrificed as an ordination offering for Aaron and his sons. And then blood was taken from the altar and mixed with the oil and was sprinkled on Aaron's garments and his son's garments and on Aaron himself, thus consecrating Aaron and his sons and consecrating their garments as holy to the Lord. They were ordained, being ordained as God's representatives and the people's representatives. And then the flesh of the ordination offering was boiled and eaten by Aaron and his sons there in that holy place. The remainder was burned. And then if you would look in your Bibles in chapter 8 and go to the very end, beginning of verse 33, we read, And you, Aaron and his sons, shall not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting for seven days until the days of your ordination are completed where it will take seven days to ordain you. As has been done today, the Lord has commanded to be done to make atonement for you. Now, the second Sunday of December, we will ordain, if you elect these men, we will ordain uh, five new deacons. And guys, it will not take seven days. It will take one worship service to ordain you. But isn't that interesting? What, what a process <laughs> to, to ordain these men. An, an elaborate process for God to, to ordain a man to rep, or men to represent, to identify with the people and represent them, but also for God to ordain a man and his sons to represent him before the people. What the assembled community saw there at the tent of meeting was God providing a mediator that would serve between himself and between his people. It showed that people had a need for a mediator. And it also assured the people of God's desire for them, think about that, for them, those sinful Israelites (laughs) who had violated the covenant, who were currently violating the covenant, and who surely will violate the covenant, that God wanted them to see that he has has met this need of a mediator, and he also wanted them to to be assured of the fact that, that God wanted them to be in his presence to enjoy the covenant relationship. And so it was both to meet a need and to assure the people of God saying, I am your God and you are my, you are my people. And because of your sin, I have provided a mediator to come between us so that you can be in my presence. Well, God God has done more than simply provide a mediator like Aaron and his sons, a priestly mediator. There are two other offices that 
are important for us to see as we think about this, this, this biblical principle of mediation, and especially when we read in 1 Timothy 2.5 of the man, Christ Jesus, being the one mediator between God and men. And the other two offices, along with the office of priest, which Aaron represents, was the office of prophet. Think of Moses, the paradigm prophet. And then the office of king. Think of King David, I would say, the paradigm human king of ancient Israel. And what is significant about these three offices is that each office was held by an individual, meaning that no one man held all three offices in Old Testament Israel. And God's plan, however, was to provide the mediator, the one true mediator, that would fulfill each of these offices, prophet, priest, and king. And he has done that in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ, who has a fully human nature, who identifies with us in order to be our representative before God. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who has a fully divine nature, perfect and holy, more than merely being ritually pure like Aaron, but has a divine nature as the mediator to represent God. And the passage that Dan read, Jesus, fully divine, fully man, is the one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. But I want us to see that that this concept, this, this, this biblical reality that we find in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 5 of Jesus being the one mediator, Jesus fulfilling all three of these mediatorial offices of prophet, priest, and king is not new. In other words, we see glimpses of one mediator fulfilling these three offices in the Old Testament. I would take you to the very beginning of the Bible. The Bible starts with, with the man Adam that God created, and Adam was a prophet. He fulfilled the office of the prophet. He was able to think God's thoughts after him. He fulfilled the office of a priest. He was able to live as a, as a living sacrifice to God. And he fulfilled the office of a king. God gave him rule and dominion over his creation. Adam as the first federal or representative head of the human race in human history, failed as the one mediator, so to speak, the prophet, priest, and king. But we find in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45, as an example, that there is a last federal head, there is a second Adam, that came the Lord Jesus Christ who upheld the covenant and who perfectly fulfills the three offices of prophet, priest, and king. We see another foreshadowing of of one man possessing several of these offices in this very mysterious uh, figure that we find in Genesis 14 and verse 18, Melchizedek, who was a king and a priest. Abraham encountered him as you may Remember, 
David in Psalm 110 and verse 4 speaks of, of a mediator coming after Melchizedek, but in the order of Melchizedek, meaning a mediator coming who will fulfill these offices in one uh, person. We see Hebrews picking up this theme as well. And Hebrews speaking of Christ coming in the order of Melchizedek in fulfillment of Psalm chapter 110 and verse 4. The one mediator, Christ. Now, we've spent quite a bit of time already in Leviticus chapter 1 through 7 talking about Christ as, as the great high priest and also the sacrifice. Christ is the one through whom we have forgiveness, through whom has made atonement for us. Christ is the one who understands our weaknesses as our great high priest. Christ is the one to whom we can we can plead for mercy because he understands us so well. Christ is the one who is, who is in heaven right now at the right hand of the Father, serving as our advocate, our lawyer, pleading his case for our justification. His case is his, his justifying work for us. Christ is the one who is interceding uh, for us. He is praying for us as we considered last week in John chapter 17. So I just want to just remind us of that, but, but, but I want to bring this down to something practical. This Friday I was reading in my table talk, the, the Ligonier devotional, and it was a devotion, the devotion has been on John 17. And I, I, I found it quite helpful for me just, just to be reminded of, of just how practically how practical it is that, that Jesus is our, is our priestly mediator. He is the one that is doing all of those things that we just talked about, but he is the one, at least for the purposes of this particular practical illustration, who is praying for us. And the Table Talk devotional suggests, and I tend to think, there's a lot of truth in this, that probably one of the greatest struggles, if not the greatest threat that we face in this world, Jesus said, uh, Father, my disciples are in the world, and the world hates them. (laughs) Probably one of the greatest threats of us being in the world, and the world hating us because we're Christ's disciples, is that we would compromise. I want to be liked. I want you to like me as a person. I want you to like me as a preacher. I want you to like my sermons. I want you to like everything about me. I want to be liked. Don't you want to be liked? You do. And we can want to be liked by the world to the extent that we would say, well, maybe same-sex marriage isn't all that wrong. Okay, if you want to define what gender you are well okay is the bible really god's word or does it just contain bits and pieces of god's word i think a great threat if not the greatest threat that we have in living in a world that hates jesus and his disciples is that we would so want to be liked that we might compromise god's truth to be liked by the world. Well, I don't know about you, but 
I, th I think that is a struggle. But. Let me just, have you been faced with a situation where you were tempted to compromise? If you haven't, I would question where you've been all your life. We all can identify with that, right? And where the, the priestly mediator Jesus helps us is that he is in heaven at the right hand of the Father and he is praying for you. He is praying for me to be strengthened that we would stand firm and not compromise to be liked by the world. Jesus is our priestly mediator who is ever praying for us. When we find it hard to pray for ourselves, Jesus is praying for us. When we ask our friends to pray for us and they fail to pray for us, Jesus is praying for us. Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is praying for me right now. I don't understand how he's able to offer up all those prayers for all his people in all time, but that's what we learn in Scripture about his mediatorial, priestly work on our behalf. So be encouraged. As you face the hostility of a world that hates Jesus and hates you and hates the church, that Jesus is praying for you to stand firm. Secondly, Jesus is the mediator and that he is the prophet, the prophet. Moses is the paradigm prophet, but even Moses said in Deuteronomy 18 that there is a prophet coming who was greater than me, says Moses. And he was pointing right to Jesus, that greater prophet, Jesus, who John 1 in verse 1, the, he is the revelation of God, the word of God in flesh. Jesus, by his life, his words, his spirit is the revelation of God for salvation. Jesus, we can just simply say Jesus is the truth. Now, how does this practically work out in our lives today? Because we live in a world that not only hates us because we're Christ's disciples, but is constantly bombarding us with false philosophies, worldly ways along with Satan's attacks. But think of all the, quote, truth statements that are out there today. There is so much confusion about what is truth. There's even confusion about is there truth? Is there objective truth? And a lot of the stuff that we're struggling with, with regards to sexual issues and with regards to all matter of issues of the Christian life have to do with some with people giving way to the Bible being the object of truth of God, the standard. And so there are a lot of mixed messages out there. But here's the encouraging thing. Jesus, our mediator, is the prophet. He is the truth. He is the word of God in flesh. He is our anchor. We are able to know not a truth, not someone else's. We're able to know the eternal truth of God, the truth that counts for heaven. We're able to know not a possibility of salvation, but the way of salvation through the prophet, 
the mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have an anchor. We're not like so many today that are like a ship out in a storm that are tossed to and thro by the waves and by the winds. No, we have an anchor that holds us. And that anchor is Jesus. That anchor is him, the truth. The prophet Jesus, Paul in Ephesians 4.14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. He said this in light of teaching the truth about Jesus from the Bible. Jesus, the one mediator, is ever interceding for us in prayer. Jesus, the one mediator, is our truth, our anchor that holds us fast. And lastly, the one mediator is Christ the King. Like Moses being the paradigm prophet, David was the paradigm, probably the greatest human king. In fact, Israel, after David, they they long for a king like David once again, a mighty warrior king. Well, they got one. Jesus. (laughs) Jesus is greater than David. In fact, David in Psalm 110 verses 1 through 10 as much as says that a king is coming that is greater than me. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. David speaking of a king that is coming that is greater than himself. So here... I, I just love our catechism question, uh, you know, how, how does Jesus execute the office of a king? Look it up and read it. But let me just summarize it uh, for you. Jesus subdues us. He subdues our sinful selves and he conquers us and he brings us into submission Jesus rules not only the church, but Jesus rules all. And one day, every knee is going to bow to King Jesus. Jesus is the one who defends us, his church. Jesus is the one that conquers his enemies and our enemies. He conquers all the foe. Though Satan is a worthy adversary, that though there is so much in this world that hates us today that would cause us to fear, Jesus says, I've got it. I'm in control. I am and will defend you and all the enemy will be vanquished. And you know, there really is a lot in our world today that would cause us to fear. I mean, I must say that over the last month or so, with all of this political turmoil that we've experienced as a country, irrespective of what your political views are, this is not a political statement, this is just simply acknowledging that I found myself fearing what's going to happen we got these people upset with these people and these people accusing that person and that person. To think of all, this is a, think of all the, the crazy stuff that has happened just over the last couple of months. 
just in the political, and then add the world into it. There is so much to fear, but we need to remember that our hope is not in the United States of America. Our hope is not in our form of government. Our hope is in the King, Jesus, the mediator, who reigns over all, who rules the cosmos, and who is bringing everything to accomplish his purposes. We must live with with this fixed in our hearts and in our minds. Not that iconic photograph that I spoke about of Carter, Sadat, and Begin there in a three-way handshake. That's part of our history. We can appreciate that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you and me on one side, holy God on the other side, and Jesus, the one true mediator in the middle, who brings atonement so our sin is dealt with that we might have peace with God, who is the truth that anchors us in the truth, the eternal truth of God that God has revealed to us that we might have peace with God. That is the king who subdues, who conquers, who rules everything today that we might have peace with God. Jesus is the one true mediator. And I would commend to you that Jesus as the prophet, priest, and king has everything to do practically with how we live with confidence and boldness and courage today. Let us pray. God, our Father, we do commit ourselves to you, asking, O Lord, for you to fix very firmly and very profoundly in our hearts and minds the reality of the Lord Jesus as prophet, priest, and king, and that we might live recognizing he has brought peace to our relationship with God, and in a very real sense, whatever else matters. The most fundamental thing in our life, to have peace with the Creator, has been accomplished, and their Christ is in the middle of it, serving as the one mediator between God and man, that we would have peace with God. Cause that to be very much a part of our daily experience so that we might be faithful, that we might have hope, that we might be courageous, that we might not compromise nor deviate from the way that you have set before us in Christ Jesus. And we ask and pray this in his name. Amen. Would you take your hymnal and turn to hymn number 310, Rejoice the Lord is King. Please.